It's episode 69 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey there, friends. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, for joining me on this episode of Keto for Women with a very special guest talking about a very special topic, all about the ketotarian or a more plant-based approach to keto, which I'm really excited to dive into with Dr. Will Cole, who is our guest today. We'll get into that in just a minute. First, a few just updates here for you. I want to remind you all that there will be no November class of the Fat Burning Female Project. I'm taking a little bit of a break so that the course can get a facelift. And so there will be a Fat Burning Female Project 2.0, we're calling it, as of January 2019, so at the beginning of next year. But until then, no classes are running. We're right in the middle of the September class. It's going so, so well. These ladies are learning so much. I know I say that all the time, but it's true. And if you want to join in on the project, make sure to wait until January, and I will announce when that enrollment will be taking place. If you want to get a jump start. I've been getting a lot of questions about this, which is why I'm talking about it here to kind of make sure you all know the fat burning female self-study is still an option. You can go ahead and start on the self-study now. It really is kind of great to at least dip your toe in prior to the holidays. And it kind of gives you a little bit of a head start with what you're going to be learning and gets your mind kind of in the good mindset that we like to have around the holidays and with parties and family get-togethers and all that stuff that happens. A lot of times food is in the equation and a lot of times we get really confused and really off track with what we're trying to do. So getting a little bit of a head start I think is really great. You can do that with the fat-burning female self-study. And then if you still want a little bit more support, a little more guidance, clarity, friends, all that stuff that happens in the actual project, you can always then join the project afterwards and you just pay the difference between the self-study option and the project option and you're in. It's super easy. So keep that in mind. The self-study is always available. You can head over to my website to get started now if you want to do that and then join in with the project come January. It's a great idea, I would say. Other than that, no real news around here. Things are going really well, working on some new projects for a more specific type of person, which I will talk about in the future. I do, of course, I'm sure this is becoming no surprise to you all, have a new favorite product. Well, actually, it's not that new to me. I've been loving this stuff for a long, long time. I would say at least a year. I know I was kind of obsessed with it last winter. So I was able to partner with the Fat Fuel Company, and they are now a sponsor of the Keto for Women show. And I get to tell you all about how awesome their products are, and you can go grab some for yourself give it a try. And of course, you get a discount because you're Keto for Women listeners, which is always a huge perk. 
But let me tell you a little bit about the Fat Fuel Company. So they make these packets of either cocoa or coffee, and they come all together in a little packet that contains, for instance, the coffee contains organic coffee, grass-fed butter powder, MCT oil powder, and coconut oil powder. So it's all in a nice to-go packet. You dump it all in your mug, put in some hot water, whisk it around. You can even just use a spoon. It mixes really, really easily and really, really well. And you have your fatty coffee beverage. And the cool thing, they did the same exact thing with cocoa. And this cocoa is what I was just absolutely obsessed with. I would drink it kind of in the middle of the day as a snack because it's a great high-fat snack. It kind of quenches any sort of sugar craving you might have or just a need for something kind of sweet and different if that's still something that you have going on in your keto world, which I do. So I think that's totally normal and fine. But you have cocoa now to take care of that. Again, this cocoa contains grass-fed butter powder, MCT oil powder, coconut oil powder, and it's made with free trade organic instant cocoa, and that's it. So no added sugar. The only carbs it contains is just what naturally occurs in those ingredients. So very low carb, very high fat, really, really amazing flavor. You will never, ever be able to tell that there is not added sugar in there. Even your kids, your husbands, your partners, whoever will enjoy it too. Even if they're not doing the keto thing with you, it is such a good option. And I really wanted to make sure you all knew about it. The coffee I think is awesome for travel or even if you go to the office and want to have some coffee once you're there, you're making sure to still get in your healthy fats. You're getting your coffee, you're getting your cocoa, whatever you want. So please head over. You've got to try this stuff. You'll want to go to shop.fatfuelcompany.com and make sure to use the coupon code KETO, the number four women, to get 20% off your order. That's shop.fatfuelcompany.com and use the coupon code KETO, the number four women. And I'll make sure to have all of this listed out in the show notes so you can go ahead and hop over there really easily. All right. Without further ado, let's move on with this episode and my interview with Dr. Will Cole. So Dr. Will Cole is a functional medicine doctor based out of Pittsburgh. He is a now published author with his book, Ketotarian, and a lot of you might know him as the co-host of the Keto Talk podcast with Jimmy Moore. He is really into this ketotarian way of living, which is a plant-based approach to the ketogenic diet. And I, of course, as you all know, besides my stint, my seven-day stint with carnivore, I'm very much into making a ketogenic lifestyle that is very abundant in vegetables and plant-based foods. So I was really, really excited to talk with Dr. Will Cole about his ideas and how this approach can work for people. I get a lot of questions from vegans and vegetarians on if it's even possible to be keto and not eat a ton of meat. So I really wanted to take this opportunity to answer those questions from more than just myself, which is always great. And as you'll notice, as the conversation rolls on, Dr. Will Cole and I are on the same page on so many levels. 
It's basically reiterating all of the things I say here about wanting it to be more of a lifestyle than a diet. And it's something that he's seeing too and something he really wants to change too. And this is coming from a male perspective. So it's not just me, I promise. So I really, really love this conversation. You guys are going to get so much out of it. I can't wait for you all to hear. So let's move on and talk to Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Will Cole, thank you so much for coming on the Keto for Women show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, I know probably a lot of you out there listening already know Dr. Cole from Keto Talk podcast, right? And so now we have him on the Keto for Women show to talk to us women specifically, which is exciting. And he's kind of the brains behind the Ketotarian. So we're going to get into that. But first, Will, we need to hear your story because we are story sharers here on the Keto for Women show. So tell us a little bit about how you got started, maybe some of your health issues you've come across because I think we've all had them that are in this keto space. So get us started with that. Sure. So my story started a long time ago in a faraway place of rural (laughs) Pennsylvania in the 80s and 90s. And I grew up in a home that was into wellness in the context of the 80s and 90s. But my parents were in many ways ahead of their time where it was mainly in like the low-fat 90s diet where people were having low-fat yogurt and low-fat was like so cool and in and like healthy and diet sodas and all of that stuff that you think about. My parents were having us drink like these weird herbal tonics and we're getting like raw full-fat dairy and from a local farmer and they were sprouting things and all that stuff. So I was not the cool kid to have like friends over. No one wanted (laughs) to come and hang out with me, but in many ways informed my own journey and my own perspective on the food industry. And I was kind of well-versed in that in the way that a kid would be on a kid level. But I then kind of evolved and owned it for myself. It wasn't just something that my parents made me do. It was also something that I wanted to do. So I started eating cleaner. And then in my probably like 17 years old around there, maybe 16, I became a vegan for much of my mid to late teens to my mid to late 20s. And I felt great. I enjoyed the food that I was eating. I was eating predominantly real food. I wasn't eating just junk food. But you know, when you are a vegan in the West, especially at that time, there were a lot of vegan treats and vegan packaged foods too. So it was a mixture of real foods and also the sort of the packaged stuff too that was still real food, organic, all of that stuff. But I was predominantly depending on various forms of carbs for my energy, whether it was the sprouted grains or the legumes or all the vegan whatever treats throughout the day. It was ultimately sugar broken down over time. And not just the sugar, but the proteins like the lectins and the phytates. And over time, it kind of impacted my digestion, my energy levels. I have autoimmune conditions on both sides of my family. I myself have the MTHFR double mutation at the C677T location, which just means it's the more problematic location of the MTHFR polymorphism which means my body doesn't detox very well and doesn't kind of activate folate very well, doesn't bring homocysteine, the inflammatory marker down very well. And it's associated with different autoimmune issues. So I was eating better than the standard American diet, but just because something's better doesn't make it optimal. So my diet paired with my education in functional medicine around that same time in my late 20s informed me on different ways of eating and kind of my diet evolved to more 
of a ketotarian way of eating. I was still a plant-centric, but ketogenic fat-adapted lifestyle. Then it kind of evolved from there. I saw patients, most of my patients are via webcam. So I get to talk to all different walks of life all around the world and really finding out what foods work for them and what doesn't. So that further evolves my own health journey of seeing so many different variables. And that kind of brought me to writing the book, Ketotarian, kind of this just summarization of my own journey and my own clinical experience now too. So did you have a health decline from being vegan for that period of time? Like, did you notice some really big changes in your health? Yeah, the main differences were fatigue, brain fog, digestive issues. Mm -hmm. Those are the bigger ones. So I think there's a way to be completely vegan keto and vegan low carb. And that's how I teach in the book, but I wasn't doing it that I was doing it the way that the standard vegan or vegetarian eater is doing in the West where they're depending a lot on grains and legumes for their calorie intake and for their energy. So yeah, those are the main things that I, I had iron deficiency anemia. I had higher homocysteine levels. I had brain fog. I had digestive issues. So those are the main uh, things that I saw in my life. And now over 10 years plus of seeing patients in the functional medicine setting, it wasn't just me. It was actually a lot of people mm-hmm. that are going through that. So it is definitely something that it's unsustainable ultimately. And at that point, people are eat plant-based with good intentions for the most part, but they have to come to the realization if they aren't feeling optimal or if their labs are not looking optimal or both, they have to really come to the realization, what do I have to do to be in alignment with my biochemistry and not just my opinions? So I think that that is something that people have to realize and something that I have to sometimes be the catalyst in the functional medicine setting for them and kind of bring and pose that question mm-hmm. because they think, you know, I, this is the right way to eat and they bring all the facts, but ultimately is it optimal for your biochemistry? And some people can get away with eating more carbs and more lectins. Certainly there are people that can tolerate that more, but a lot of people can't tolerate that. So it's just how do we still maybe hold true to your preferences or convictions, but how can you do it in a way that's sustainable for your health? And it seems like so much of it has to do with your blood sugar, obviously, and then making that transition for you. And then now with your patients, just going from this traditional kind of vegan approach, which is so heavily carb-based and really probably doing some pretty good damage to the blood sugar, and then kind of just shifting it just enough to where you can become fat adapted or keto adapted, which we'll talk about kind of what that all means and how that looks. But it seems like just making those little tweaks can do just a world of difference. For sure. Yeah. It's just where are you getting your fuel from? And that's something that not just people in the plant-based world have to talk about, but just people in the standard Western world Mm -hmm. or in the paleo world, they have to kind of come to that realization of like, what foods are they picking from? It still can be the umbrella under the umbrella of being plant-based or paleo or real foods or whatever. But ultimately, are they using food to their advantage to be the most optimal fuel that's the cleanest fuel too? And yes, that's blood sugar and insulin for me, but it was also the lectins and the phytates. And a lot of people's guts just can't handle that amount of lectins and grains and all of that stuff when you're depending on that at every meal. 
Right. Definitely. All right. So this gets us into the ketotarian or this plant-based keto approach that you've written a whole book about. So obviously you're very passionate about it. And I think it's an amazing concept. So tell everyone what that looks like. Yeah. So ketotarian is really the amalgamation of the best of being plant-based and the best of being fat adapted and being in nutritional ketosis and being a fat burner. So there are three different ways to go ketotarian. There are vegan keto options for people and there's vegetarian keto options, which we bring in eggs and ghee, clarified butter. And then there's the vegetarian, as I call it, but the pescatarian really mm. options where we have wild caught fish, fatty fish and shellfish too. So you can do one of them. Like there's some people because of preference or whatever reasons they will just be vegan keto. And I wanted to give them a better way to do their diet. And then there's obviously many vegetarians out there. They can do vegetarian keto and then pescatarian keto, which I bring up in the book, the bioavailability of certain nutrients that you're not going to get just from being vegan keto. So there are certain people that are open to, Hey, I, I thought I was eating optimal for my health, but maybe if I bring in some eggs or if I bring in some ghee, or maybe I could bring in some fish into my life, I still will be plant centric, but I can make a few tweaks here and there and really be game changers in many people's health. And it's obviously something that I've seen clinically, but now that the book's out, it's something that I'm hearing on social media and seeing on social media, like, well, like I was a vegan. I thought I was doing the right thing. But like I just made a few changes with these A, ketosis, the benefits of that, but also beyond ketosis, just these few food medicines that are really bioavailable sources of awesome nutrients that make people feel better too. So that's what ketotarian is. Half of the book is science and ethos and really kind of the whys and the whats and all of that stuff. And then the second half of the book is all the recipes. So there's 81 different plant-based keto recipes meal plans, pretty pictures, all of that stuff. So that's kind of what the book is. Yeah, definitely. So with those that just really, really want to be vegan and aren't open to the ghee and the eggs and the fish or any of those, what do you say to those people? Because we know as, well, me as a nutritionist and you as a functional medicine doctor, that they are definitely going to be losing out on key nutrients that they can only get from animal food. So mm -hmm. how do you approach that topic? So the point is you have to look at the individual and what their different specific health issues are. And there are definitely some people that they make use of the plant vitamins better than some other people, meaning the conversion of certain like the beta carotenes of the vitamin A. There's certain people that will get a buy and you'll see their levels look fine and they feel great. Their labs look great. There's no major issues and they're completely vegan keto. I think a lot of people are going to have to do some smart supplementation of fat soluble vitamins and B vitamins and maybe iron. Those, those are going to be the main issues because you can't get B12, true B12 from plant foods and you are not going to get ample amounts of fat soluble vitamins really at all and the true forms of them certainly you may get the analog versions of them but you're not going to get the true forms of them so and the conversion can be really poor in a lot of people mm -hmm. so there's smart supplementation or this conversation that i'm posing in ketotarian to say are you open to bringing some of these foods back in and my experience, and I see a lot of really difficult cases, and I've seen a lot of them. Most of the time, people 
almost, I would say almost all the time, people are open to bringing in certain food medicines for the sake of their health. Mm -hmm. They would rather feel better than they would rather hold on to their opinions. So they may not love the food all the time. They may not want it all the time every day, but they're okay with bringing it in for the sake of their health. And that's my experience. And I'm not speaking to exceptional people in the sense of they're not like special, like extra motivated, extra whatever people. They're your average vegan, vegetarian, or people that just don't like meat or fish or eggs, but for the sake of their health, they're open to bringing these foods in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I think that in my world, it makes a ton of sense to just eat lots of vegetables, get your nutrients in that way. But at least in my opinion, that was kind of met with some pushback at the beginning with the keto world because they almost kind of fear vegetables or fear too many vegetables because of the carb content. And so I had to really kind of keep explaining myself and the importance of having these real foods and enough of these kinds of organic vegetables and things like that to get the nutrients that we need. So why do you believe that we don't need to fear the veggies as much as some of these keto people fear them? I love that you just said that. I, I actually haven't heard anybody in the keto world like say how I felt and you had the same pushback. Yeah, I didn't totally. I didn't realize that because I'm like in my insular bubble seeing patients. But when I went on, started to be the co-host of Keto Talk, that's the first time I heard the pushback. I'm like, wait, this is radical? Like what the heck? Yeah, where are these people coming from? But when I understood where they're coming from, there's different layers too. I think one layer, it's just honestly what happens when you have a very insular group of people that get almost a sense of tribalism where they know, okay, this keto thing, ketosis has helped me so much. So therefore anything that even could potentially lower my ketosis is therefore bad. And there basically the end justifies the means and anything that could potentially lower ketones is something that should be avoided. And I just think there's certain level of tribalism when it comes to when you talk about plant foods, they're almost so on the other end of the spectrum that even talking about plant foods or anything that could sound plant-based or vegetarian or anything like that is like not cool for them and they're going to fight it. And you see a lot of that with the carnivore diet that's going on right now. And I just don't see the need to be so at war. We're talking about food here. We're talking about health. We're not talking about foreign policy. This is not like something that should be so dogmatic. But the science of the matter, the specifics of it, is that fiber from plant foods actually help to produce in the microbiome butyrate. Butyrate is a short-chain fatty acid that our gut naturally produces from fiber, from plant foods. And butyrate is the relative of beta-hydroxybutyrate, the ketone. And your gut produces butyrate in the microbiome in, by digesting plant fibers. Now, butyrate has all the same or similar benefits as beta-hydroxybutyrate. So that's increasing mitochondrial function, decreasing inflammation levels, being a source of fuel. All of that stuff is from bacterial diversity from plant foods. So that's one reason. And there's research to show that something called intestinal gluconeogenesis, the activity of fermenting fibers in the plants from plant foods actually increases insulin sensitivity in our body. Unlike hepatic gluconeogenesis, which can increase blood sugar and throw people out of ketosis. So this is something from non-starchy fibrous vegetables actually beneficial for the body, for ketosis, for optimal health. And there are certainly some people when they have lots and lots of plant foods that they'll see their ketones go lower. But I would say 
for a lot of those people, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just their body's adaptation while they're maybe healing their gut or lowering inflammation levels down or increasing their insulin sensitivity. You have to kind of look at it as a whole and slightly lower ketone levels doesn't mean you're a failure or that food is a junk food for you. It's just the delicate dance of your biochemistry. And there's a lot of different components to this. So I think that we have to back up a little bit and not be so maybe obsessed about the ketone meter and really look at the health as a whole. Uh, you're so speaking my language right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I'll just nodding my head that entire time because all of that is so, so important and just almost seems overlooked in some parts of the keto community. But I think there's a lot of us now bringing this idea back in and that you can have a really balanced, really nutrient dense keto diet and make it work for you and feel really good in the process, which is the most important thing versus what your ketone meter says. So another thing that's a little controversial that I found out here has quite a bit of pushback when I started this podcast is dairy consumption on a keto diet. And man, I tell you, there's a lot of people that are just like tied to their dairy. And the second mm -hmm. you tell them that maybe they should try going without and see if that helps some of their problems they're still having, it's a major catastrophe in their life. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on dairy consumption? Yeah, it's the gluten of the ketogenic it world. Is. It is. Yeah, it definitely is. It's the love, love affair. But it's a few things. It's like, A, it's very easy uh, mm -hmm. to get it's ubiquitous in stores and people love it. And when you're already getting rid of certain food groups and they're like, well, that's my main staple now and you're taking that away, they're like, what the heck am I going to eat? I think that there's a few different levels of why people have this sort of visceral response to removing dairy on a ketogenic diet. But there are many people, as you know, as you see with your clients that I see as well, that people have dairy sensitivity sometimes. Not everybody. I'm not making broad sweeping statements about dairy. Some people tolerate dairy just fine, but the casein in the dairy protein can be problematic. People with sensitivities to that. And obviously there are better ways to get casein. Like there's the beta A2 casein, which is the more original a primal casein, the dairy protein that is in A2 milk and certain grass-fed cows. And there's certain breeds of cows that still produce predominantly or exclusively this more original casein that is more tolerated for sure. But most of the dairy that people are eating in the West, and I would say most of the dairy that people in the keto world are eating is not A2. They're getting the conventional dairy and they're eating it anything that they can get their hands on as long as it's high fat and low carb. This is problematic for some people. You can get dairy that removes the casein like ghee, the clarified butter, which is something that I advocate for in Ketotarian, and it's well tolerated by a lot of people. And then the fermentation, obviously, fermented dairies, grass-fed dairies are more tolerated than, let's say, like milk or even cream. So cheeses and yogurts and kefirs or kefirs are more tolerated than the straight-up full-fat milk. So... It's a nuanced conversation. I think there's definitely better sources of it and better tolerated sources of it. But going back to our point earlier, just because something's keto or high fat, low carb doesn't mean under that umbrella that that food's right for you. And it doesn't mean that you throw out ketosis and say, well, ketosis is failing. It just may be the dairy that's not working for you or something like it. So I totally hear what you're saying because I hear that all the time too. And you're going to have to 
come up with alternatives and you know coconut yogurt or almond yogurt or even goat yogurt like people tolerate goat dairy better typically if they still want to stick to like an animal source of that as well Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we have one more topic that I really wanted to touch on because there's a lot of, again, controversy as is the case with everything we're talking about here, but your take on soy. So obviously being in a ketotarian or plant-based type approach, the topic of soy is going to come up. Is it something that should or shouldn't be consumed? Does it change for women's health concerns? What do you think? So just as we talked about with the dairy, it's not so much the dairy in and of itself, it's what we've done to it. And I would say that the case would be for soy. It's not so much the soy in general, it's what we've done to it more that's the problem. So the genetic modification, the spraying, all of that stuff, the processing, it's this sort of, it's a byproduct of the real plant. There are definitely people, if you look at the pod-like edamame or like the real food, Many people tolerate those if it's organic, non-GMO, but really the soy products that I allow, especially for the vegan keto eater, are fermented soy products that are organic and non-GMO like tempeh and natto. Those are two things that I think are good complete proteins for the vegan keto eater or anybody else that wants, even if they're vegetarian or pescatarian or just a regular keto eater that just wants more plant-based options in their life. That's something that most people I find tolerate it just fine. I wouldn't recommend it as the only protein source, just like I wouldn't recommend really any food as the only source. I think that diversity is important when we can get it. That's definitely something that I do say is completely fine to have in this sort of plant-based ketogenic context. So are the estrogenic effects something that we need to be considering or worried about at all? The research that I have seen over the years and also that I've seen on labs on patients is that it tends to have a sort of modulating impact on estrogen levels mm-hmm. as it doesn't necessarily increase estrogen levels in a negative way that would say a hormone replacement a cream or some sort of like a birth control pill would impact estrogen. I actually don't see estrogen levels high or abnormal with people are eating good real food phytoestrogen from plants because it's not just phytoestrogen. It's a whole food. There's a lot of different components and fibers and vitamins that help to balance out hormones similar to adaptogens really where you have for example like maca it's an adaptogen it's not necessarily driving testosterone or estrogen levels it tends to have a modulating effect and i see certain phytoestrogen plants not just soy tend to have that balancing effect too now i'm assuming there would be cases where people are more sensitive to these things than others And I would say maybe the lectins and the phytates could be more problematic from an inflammatory standpoint, but not specifically to the estrogen do I see it being a considerable, making a considerable impact on people's hormones. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So we just need to make sure organic, non-GMO for sure, preferably fermented, it's going to take that type of food and make it into a really good nutrient-dense option? Yes, I would say so. Love it. Before we get going with today's episode, I just want to remind you all about Rasa Coffee. You guys all know how much I love Rasa Coffee by now, but I've just tried something and I have to share it with you all. If you've not tried the coffee alternative Rasa Coffee Iced, 
you absolutely have to. So you brew it. I brew it in the morning as normal, and then I put it in the refrigerator and wait until later in the day, like three o'clock, four o'clock-ish as my afternoon snack. It's become an iced rasa coffee with some full-fat creamy coconut milk and a dash of cinnamon. It is so good. You all have to try it. And the best part is, is that I feel really good drinking it because I know that it's doing great things for my adrenals, for my detoxification pathways, and for just having a little bit of a natural energy boost to get me through the rest of the day. There's no caffeine, there's no sugar, there's no gluten, there's no dairy, there's nothing else in it, but these amazing adaptogenic herbs that are so great for our adrenals and the rest of our body. They've also created this perfect recipe of these herbs that makes it taste amazing. It's not really a flavor I can describe because it doesn't taste like coffee, but it really does make an amazing coffee alternative, so a really good substitute. So whether you're looking to break your caffeine habit, which I think you all know I highly recommend for a lot of women that they do, especially if they are having issues with their adrenal health. This is a really great option, even if you use it to start weaning yourself off caffeine or you mix it with some decaf, that's a really great option too. It's also really good in like a bulletproof style, so you can do that with your morning beverage. So no matter what, you have a purpose for Rasa Coffee in your life and you are going to love it. And because they are sponsors of the Keto for Women show, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping when you use the coupon code KETOWOMEN10. So you will head to rasacoffee.com slash keto for women and use the coupon code KETOWOMEN10 to get 10% off your order. We will have all that information linked in the show notes so you can head there right now. Use that link to grab your 10% off and get yourself some amazing coffee alternative. You will love it. Okay, so part about your book that I loved the most was this really good information about supplements and lots of different types of supplements that people could potentially take. Do you recommend supplements for most people? So food is primary, right? I mean, you cannot supplement your way out of a poor, crappy diet. But supplementation can be great for people that maybe aren't on point with all their food medicines, or maybe they're not getting enough of it. Or because, as we mentioned, some people have these different genetic mutations where they're just never going to fully get to optimal levels from food alone, maybe because of food nutrient density or whatever reasons. I think supplementations can be really great after food. They're the targeted things based on the individual. So some people may not need all of the ones I recommended in Ketotarian. They can get most of it from food. But those are like the more of the essentials that I do recommend as just like foundational stuff. So yeah, they are things that I recommend on top of food. So what are a few that potentially most readers of the Ketotarian book would want to get started on? Sure. So I would say B vitamins, number one, methylated B vitamins, specifically if they're vegan, but also really anybody. I mean, even Mm -hmm. if the person's downing beef liver (laughs) every day, I still would recommend a B vitamin and vitamin D would be appropriate. I like pairing vitamin D with K2, another fat soluble vitamin. So B vitamins, D, K2, probiotic, I think is important. You can obviously have fermented foods, which are 
advantageous too, and omega fish oil. And I prefer the omega fish oil over the plant-based fish oils, sorry, the plant-based omega pills because of the bioavailability and the conversion. And I like spirulina and spirulina has some good nutrients that are more bioavailable. So if I had a one plant-based source of these nutrients, spirulina would be kind of a superfood for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. All right. So this is the Keto for Women show. And we talk a lot about mistakes or things that maybe have gotten us into trouble with our health or our keto world or something like that, and how to get out of them here on the show quite a bit. So I'm curious, being that you have seen patients for a long time and you've talked about keto with a lot of them, I'm sure if you've noticed any trends, women specifically, of mistakes or things that they're doing that are kind of maybe backing themselves into a corner with their health that we could improve on. Yeah. So I think one is like, and specifically to the ketogenic diet, I would say one is intermittent fasting too aggressively. I think the intermittent fasting is wonderful. I write about it in Ketotarian. So I don't want to abandon it entirely. I'm not saying that. I just think that people need to do it smartly and work with their body. So one thing that I see is if someone does too much intermittent fasting for their body, they'll know it when it throws off their cycle, if they're more fatigued, if they're more stressed out. So I talk about in the book things like crescendo fasting or maybe more lighter intermittent fasting where sometimes people have to refeed Mm -hmm. and some people have to kind of let, okay, we did the intermittent fasting. Now it's like too much of a good thing. Let's like refeed and just nourish our body with good foods, satiating foods and give it a break. And I think that that waxing and waning between intermittent fasting and refeeding is important. A lot of times when you talk about women and there's different mechanisms there with kispeptin, this sort of protein that women have higher levels of it and they can make them more sensitive to intermittent fasting and that can throw off their cycle and throw off their other hormones. So that's something to consider that I see a lot into the keto world and the IF world, but it's born out of wanting to get the benefits of intermittent fasting and autophagy and all this cool stuff and enhancing ketosis and all this stuff that we are fans of, obviously, but it's about balance and wellness should be about balance and more doesn't always mean better. I'm so glad I'm not the only one saying this. I'm so glad that you're also saying that because that's something I see really, really commonly is, I mean, it is so appealing to hear all these benefits that you can get from fasting. And, you know, a lot of times it's a little bit confusing too, because women will start out feeling really great when they fast, but then it's like, it becomes almost like this obsession or just kind of, they stop listening to their body and start just really being focused on this fasting. And then things can take a turn quickly. Absolutely. And what you said there was really key is listening to your body. And I think if people did more of that, especially women, they would get the answers on what their body needed. And not every day has to be the same because those demands aren't always the same on every day. So just because you had it scheduled that you should be doing this. And if you don't do that, you feel like a failure. That's really not true. Mm Mm-hmm a big part of ketotarian, and I would say probably the most important part, is recalibrating this wellness world and specifically recalibrating the conversations within the ketogenic community of giving your body grace and having a lightness to food again and not being overly militant and feeling if you're not militant, you're somehow failing at this. This cannot 
have a place in what we're talking about here. This is really about loving your body enough to nourish it with good foods, loving your body enough to try things like intermittent fasting to allow your body to heal. It's reframing our relationship with our body, reframing our relationship with food. And that's something that people can bring into this keto journey thing from their past experiences with dieting or their past experiences in general. And I hope that through conversations like we're having now and educating them about wellness, not just about ketosis, that they will start treating their body with this grace and lightness so they can do this keto thing sustainably instead of it being just another fad diet that they've tried. Yes, that is the ultimate goal I think that we all have here in this keto world. And it just we need to keep sharing that information. We just need to keep saying it. And I think eventually it starts sticking with more and more people. And then we have built a lifestyle that's based on health instead of the next thing to try, which I think is so important. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So fasting you see can be good for some people, not so good for others. What else do you see that women can struggle with? Another one would be, and this isn't just for women, but it definitely is applicable to a lot of patients that I have. And most of my patients are women is too much saturated fats, which is probably another controversial statement in, in the keto space. But I find that if people focus too much on coconut oil or too much on grass-fed beef, now ketotarian doesn't have beef in it. Like we bring it in after we've gone plant-based keto, but it's applicable in this conversation of saturated fat. So it's mainly coconut oil, and grass-fed beef, I find that some people, they have too much of it based on their gut health or specific genetic mutations like the APOE4 mutations and other like fatty acid binding proteins too. You'll see their inflammation levels spike or their NMR levels like their nuclear magnetic resonance, like these really good accurate cardiovascular lipid panels are off because in part because of the higher saturated fat content. Fat is not bad and nor is saturated fat bad, but we have to find again what's right for you. Saturated fat can be wonderful healing food medicine in higher amounts for some people, but for some people too much of it can throw off labs, it can throw off inflammation levels and lipids in part because of leaky gut syndrome with you have these gram negative bacteria, basically it can increase higher lipopolysaccharides and drive inflammation levels up for some people. So I'm not saying that saturated fat is bad, but for some people it's a problem. But when you're telling people this is a ketogenic diet and this is high fat and you can eat all the fat that you want and saturated fat is not bad in any limitation, that can be a problem for some people's biochemistry. So we want to find out what's right for you and not make overgeneralized statements. So that's one common thing that I see a lot. And also the, the dairy saturated fats too, I should have mentioned that. So mm -hmm. the cheeses and the ghee, too much of those two can be problematic, just like the coconut oil and the grass-fed beef. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Is that something that really ideally we would be kind of maybe seeing some variations on tests that we've done or are getting done with our doctors and can make some changes based on that? Or should we just kind of all kind of try to moderate our saturated fat levels? I think that it depends on what the patient prefers, like food taste wise. Mm -hmm. So if they really love the dairy or if they really love the grass-fed beef or they really love the coconut oil then if they're having a lot of it, I probably would check in on a lab. And you don't have to be super detailed. I mean, you don't have to be run every lab under the sun. These are just really smart, specific labs. You can run like high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. It's an inflammatory protein, a CRP, but you want it under one. And homocysteine, 
which is a biomarker for inflammation, and we want it under seven. And we can look at gut health, which isn't, again, a super detailed test to look for intestinal permeability. And then you can use your 23andMe, draw genetic data to look at the APOE, seeing if there's a four or a four three mutation. And those are things I think that you can actually get the APOE information from 23andMe itself on the health biomarkers. So there's just some few key things that people can test. And then obviously test your lipids, run cholesterol, run triglycerides, run NMR test, nothing too major, maybe about five or six labs. And then they can kind of see and compare and contrast that. Because sometimes people go keto, these numbers shift, and you may want to just tweak about the sources of the fats you're eating if you see these numbers go in the wrong direction. Yeah, I just think that's super good information. I know there's a lot of people out there that question that, whether they have anything to worry about or not, just like, should I be eating this much saturated fat? But really, regardless, even if you want to get those tests done and you have to wait or aren't going to do it right away, no matter what, I mean, I think it's great for everybody to get a diverse range of fats. Like don't only go for the dairy for all your fats or the coconut oil for all your fats. Like get a really good variety. Make sure you're having avocado, avocado oil, olive oil, olives, that kind of thing. You know, I think it makes things taste better. It mixes things up in the kitchen for sure, but it's also doing really good things for your health too. And keeping Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Anything else that you notice? Number three would probably be kind of what I said at the, the first point is just this problem that I'm seeing in the keto world of varying amounts of orthorexia. And maybe this is a little bit too deep for this. Oh my gosh. No, we talk about this all the time. This is great. Right. Great. Great. <laughs> so I think this is higher in the ketogenic world and in certain autoimmune worlds too. Mm-hmm. And it's born out of real health problems. I'm not saying it's anything but that. It starts with real health problems and them feeling really lousy. And then they learn all this information about foods and then they get so stressed and anxious and they they don't feel good. So it creates this vicious orthorexic cycle of fearing foods and shame around foods and stress about foods and, and it's not healthy. And that stress isn't good for their health. And I get it. It's really difficult when you're not feeling well. And maybe they don't have any major health problems and maybe they're orthorexic too, but I find that most people with orthorexia actually do have health issues. Mm -hmm. They've just created this stress and anxiety about foods that is difficult to break, but we need to bring it up because when you're talking about lowering your carbs or intermittent fasting specifically, what can look like wellness is really just a masked eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And we're all responsible for ourselves. We need to be checking why we're doing these things. And if you have a past history of eating disorders, or is this just a new form of your eating disorder? This isn't what we're talking about. When we're talking about intermittent fasting and eating all these foods, we're eating until we're full, we're loving our foods. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of people with eating disorders can do really, really, really well with a ketogenic diet. Don't get me wrong. I think that this can create freedom because they feel great. They have more balance in their body and inflammation levels are lowered and they feel better overall, but that's not always the case. So it's not the majority of people, but it definitely is higher than I would like minority of people that are struggling with these health problems and eating disorders that we need to reframe why we're doing what we're doing. And if we're not fasting or eating good keto foods with a good relationship with our body and food, I really think we should check why we're doing what we're doing. Ah, 
So, so true. And it's so interesting that you say you see it in the autoimmune disease community too, because I have two autoimmune diseases. I come from that and came Mm -hmm. from basically doing AIP and paleo to then going into keto. And I've seen it in every single community that I was in, because it really does come from this place. It's just almost like desperation of wanting to feel better and wanting to get well and wanting to do the right thing for your body. But it also becomes like, you're so obsessed with it and it gets to this place where it's just as unhealthy as what anything else really yeah, that could be going on in your body. And it really does need to change. And we, again, need to be sharing this kind of information and having this conversation way more often within the keto community for sure. Because again, a lot of people are now coming into keto, trying to get well, trying to get healthy, having more than just weight loss on their mind, which is so great, but it's still, we need to really find that bigger why and stay focused on that bigger why and work on kind of creating this sense of freedom, like you mentioned. And I tell people all the time that when I switched to keto, that's the first time in my life that I felt food freedom. And I still feel that now two years later. And now obviously want more people to experience that too. So when we can really approach it as this lifestyle piece, which I know is really something that you promote too, and you talk about in Ketotarian as well, you know, we can really take away this like obsession I think Mm -hmm. that happens with kind of our food, essentially, and trying to do everything as correctly as possible. So true. The interesting thing is that all these things that we're talking about, these keto principles and wellness principles, they're all like major game changers for so many people's health. But the crazy thing is you have somebody, let's just say hypothetically, and I see this a lot, where they will eat clean They'll eat better than the standard Western eater and they're struggling with health issues Mm -hmm. and they go on vacation and they eat more junk food and they are completely off the reservation. They actually feel oftentimes better eating more junk food. And that's the power that stress has our biochemistry. I cannot even tell you how often I have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. It happens all the time. It's with a certain point we have to be like, is this really right? I mean, we have mm-hmm. to kind of sometimes back up and loosen up and not be so strict if it's causing you stress. And that doesn't mean you can't lean into these things when you're mentally and emotionally prepared for it. But if you're eating the best keto foods under the sun, getting your macros on point, but you're miserable, like there's something that's going to have to shift. Either your relationship with food or your food choices, one thing has to change because it's not sustainable. Hmm. Yeah, I love having this conversation. I'm so glad you brought that up. And it's something that I think all of us need to continue to talk about, especially those of us that have been in both sides and, you know, really experiencing that sense of freedom. There's nothing better. And it really does take away such an immense amount of stress, like stress I didn't even know I had. I thought that that was just normal to always be thinking about food and trying to yeah. calculate things and all that stuff. And it really doesn't have to be that way. And it's so yeah. much freer on the other side. For sure. Before we move on with this episode, let me just take a minute to remind you all about the healing power of bone broth, and more specifically, Oh So Good Bone Broth, who is a proud Keto for Women sponsor. 
Bone broth is the best, most nutrient-dense way that you can go to heal your body and heal your gut and improve your skin and nails and hair. The amino acid profile in bone broth is absolutely incredible, something we all need and a lot of us miss on a regular basis. Not to mention those micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals also provided naturally in bone broth that work to heal your gut and also to heal your immune system and to keep you healthy and well. That's why we are recommended to drink broth when we're sick or when we feel ourselves getting sick. And to have that in a package that is so delicious and so easy, all you have to do is grab a pack of oh-so-good bone broth out of your freezer, let it thaw, put it into a pot, and you can use it either in recipes for whatever you're making that day, or my personal favorite is to just drink it straight out of a mug. It's very comforting and warm. I love to do it before bed. It's kind of my nighttime ritual. It calms me down, makes sure that I'm nice and healthy heading into bedtime, and I have those nutrients ready to go. Oh So Good Bone Broth is 100% the best tasting broth out there. It is the best one I have ever had. I've tried them all. I am a huge fan of the flavors of the bone broth that they have there at Oh So Good. My favorite is the Signature. I highly recommend that. A close second is the Spicy Pork. So make sure when you are placing your order with Oh So Good, you grab those two and just give them a try. Let me know if you think they're your favorite too. And just make sure you always have some around. I know you can make your own, but there's just times when all of a sudden you or your family member feels like they're coming down with something and you need some broth immediately, but you don't have any bones. You don't have the time to make some broth. And it's just really nice to have that in the freezer ready to go for whenever you or your family needs it, which really, honestly, it's an everyday thing. You need to be making this a ritual so that it gets into your health care routine because it is a much needed part of that. So head to ohsogoodbones.com and get $10 off your order when you use the code KETO, the number for women. That's ohsogoodbones.com and use the coupon code KETO, the number for women, to place your order, get $10 off. Make sure to try all those flavors. Try the soups too. They are phenomenal and so easy to pull out and have around for a quick dinner. Uh, Just so great. Everything's so good there. I promise you're going to be obsessed. Okay, so looking at Ketotarian, so now we have people curious and interested and definitely going out to read your book. It's such a great book. I really love how it's all laid out and like very easy to read and understand. So it's a great book and congratulations on that for sure. Thank you. But they want to maybe do this. Now, if they want to be a Ketotarian, is that forever? I know you mentioned that you can eventually have grass-fed beef again. So what does it look like? So in Ketotarian, I recommend people to go eight weeks plant-based keto. And that was actually where I wrote that mainly for the non-keto reader. Mm-hmm. I made, wrote that to just give them time to get the benefits of ketosis and lower inflammation levels. But I would say that it would be smart for somebody that does eat the conventional ketogenic diet to try this for specifically for eight weeks, not to become fat adapted, but just get accustomed to doing keto in a more plant-centric way. So it's not they're not making that metabolic transition per se, but they're just eating different keto-friendly foods. And then after the eight weeks, you can 
personalize it. You can bring in grass-fed beef if you want. You can bring in the grass-fed raw, you know, full-fat dairy if you enjoy that and tolerate that. Or you can carb cycle or do anything that I would say for any patient. They can experiment with it and see where they feel the best, where are their energy levels, where's their brain function, where's their weight loss resistance, if that's a goal for them. Where are their ketones? Where is their insulin and blood sugar levels? These are things that people can track for themselves. And we all have different biochemistries. And that's really the heart of functional medicine is that we have to really find your groove on where you thrive. But yeah, eight weeks specifically plant-based keto. I'm I'm not against grass-fed beef. I'm not. But I wanted to bring something different to the conversation and really give other people alternatives of how they can go keto, maybe in a, in a different way. And it really is just giving you eight weeks to learn more about yourself and your body. Yeah, exactly. It's what it is. It's just kind of being introspective, being conscious of how your body feels and what your body needs. Cause there are some people that let's say they don't love fish. They want to be pescatarian. Maybe they want to be more plant-based, but they want the grass fed beef every, you know, maybe once or twice a week, or maybe more than that for B vitamins and iron and all of that stuff because they're not eating enough fish. There are some people that are like that. And then again, just to make it clear, you can be in ketotarian, you can be a completely vegan keto and vegetarian keto eater. And I teach how to do that in the book. But I wanted to give, again, across the board, whatever you call yourself, more plant-centric keto options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. All right. So last thing that we need to talk about, because we here on the Keto for Women show believe that keto is not a diet, but a lifestyle. And that's what we're aiming to do. And we talked about that several times here already on this episode, but I want to just kind of see what that means to you living a keto lifestyle. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that mean for you? Yeah. And that's really the heart of ketotarian is really loving your body enough to nourish it with good foods. That's what it is. It's eat when I'm hungry. I'm eat when I'm satiated. I'm eating nutrient dense foods. To me, it's just what I'm eating is a reflection of my own self-respect. And I think that self-care and food is a part of that is a form of self-respect. And that's what I think a healthy ketogenic diet is, is a form of self-respect for your body and feeling great. That's really what it means to me. Ah, I love that so much. Dr. Bill Cole, we are on the same page (laughs) for sure. (laughs) So I'm very glad to have you on the show. That was a really awesome conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. So tell people a little bit about where they can get the book, what to expect, where else they can find you, all that good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, by the way. But my everything's at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. You can get the book from there. The links to Amazon and Barnes and Noble are there. We have video classes. We offer a free webcam or phone health evaluation if people want to get a functional medicine perspective on their case. We have so much stuff there that we're always working on on drwillcole.com. And you also are friends with Jimmy on the Keto Talk podcast. Yeah. I'm on Keto Talk every week with Jimmy Moore and we get answer people's questions and my handle on Instagram and Twitter and all of those social media is just at Dr. Will Cole. Perfect. Thank you so much. We'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes so everyone will have easy access and make sure to go out and grab Ketotarian. Such a good book. You'll learn a ton just about just everything, even just supplementation and really good nutrients to make sure you're getting in all your foods and awesome recipes, all that good stuff. So go ahead and grab that. And thank you so much, Dr. Cole, and we hope to talk to you soon. 
Thank you. Thank you.